conflicted or confused by all the nonsense in the culture, all the naysayers, all of the views, all of the philosophies. There's only one voice that matters. It is the voice of the Lion of Judah. It is the voice of the everlasting Son of God. This is Living a Legacy with Bible teacher and author, Dr. Crawford Loritz. The glory of the Lord played a major role in the Christmas story, and this glory was shown all around at the appearance of the angel whose voice was heard by the shepherds. In today's message, we'll examine three incredible events in the life of Jesus that underscore three aspects of His glory. Join us. If you're new to our broadcast, Crawford has been teaching and sharing the Word of God for over 50 years, serving as a pastor, conference speaker, and seminary professor. His books include Leadership as an Identity, Unshaken, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, co-authored by Karen Loritz. Crawford served for 15 years as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, and these weekly messages were originally given during his pastoral ministry at Fellowship. Now retired from church work, Crawford heads the Christian Leadership Mentoring Program called Beyond Our Generation. Well, we're in a series called The Glory of Christmas, and today's study takes us to Mark chapter 9. Crawford will review last week's message about the meaning of God's glory, and then we'll take a look at three incredible events that took place during the life of Jesus. Let's head to Mark chapter 9. Here's Crawford Loritz on Living a Legacy. I have always been impressed by this little woman that's not quite four foot eight that's in heaven now. Her name is Mother Teresa. I've always been impressed with her life. And what, what I've been impressed with her about is that she's a classic illustration of what I've learned in recent years is that, you know, greatness, true greatness finds people. If you have an ambition to be great, chances are you never will be. But true greatness typically finds great people. And by that I mean noble, noble people. Um, I, I, I just want to share a little bit about this lady with you, and I, hopefully I'll connect the dots with the message. If I don't, it's still a good story. Um, Mother Teresa was born in August of 26, 1910, and she passed away in September, September the 5th, 1997. She was born in Albania, uh, and for over 45 years, she ministered to the poor, sick, orphaned, and dying while guiding the missionaries of charity's expansion, first throughout India, and then in other countries. In fact, this whole expansion of her work in India was a Johnny-come-lately thing. She didn't intend to do that. Her passion and her heart always was for the poor in India. But by the 1970s, she was internationally famed as a humanitarian and advocate for the poor and helpless, due in part to a documentary and book by Malcolm Muggeridge entitled Something Beautiful for God. In 1979, she won the Nobel Peace Prize, and, and then she also, in 1980, won India's highest civilian honor, the Bharat Ratna Honor, for her humanitarian work. Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity, now get this, continued to expand, and at the time of her death, it was operating 610 missions in 123 countries. She never set out to do this. Unbelievable. Including hospices and homes for people with HIV, AIDS, leprosy and tuberculosis, soup kitchens, children's and family counseling programs, orphanages and schools. 
1996, Mother Teresa was proclaimed directly by an act of the U.S. Congress as an honorary citizen of the United States. Again, I share that story with you because here's a person that became great because she was great. This might be an obvious statement, but I think if you think about it, uh, it's a profound statement. And that is this, what makes a person great is not what they intended to do, but actually what they did. Think about that. What makes a person great is not what they mouth off or project. What makes a person great is not what they intended to do. But what makes a person great is actually what they did. Um, I love what George W. Bush used to say, and I'm not, I'm not saying whether or not I supported him or was a fan of his or whatever. I'm not being political here, but in his, you know, he took a, he took a beating his second term, the war and the economy and all these things. And, and I loved what he said, though, and he didn't come across defensively about this. When people would come after him and say, well, Mr. President, you know, your, your approval ratings are plummeting and, and all this stuff is out of control here. How do, what, do, what do you have to say about this? And he said, well, I have to stick by my principles. And he, he said this line. He says, history will be my judge. History will be my judge. It's not what you intend to do that makes you great. It is, in fact, what you have done that makes you great. You know, Jesus' approval ratings were awful when he walked this face of the earth. They were terrible. He was an outcast, he was scorned. He had terrible approval ratings. There's this remarkable statement about Jesus. I tell you, this thing takes the breath out of me when I, when I, when I quote this verse. It absolutely, I'm seriously, I'm not being dramatic here, it absolutely takes the breath away from me. In Hebrews chapter one, verse three, there is this remarkable statement about our Savior. Listen to these words. The writer of Hebrews says, he is the radiance of the glory of God. And then this unspeakable line, the exact imprint of his nature. He is, the he is, he is the radiance of the glory of God. And he is the exact imprint of his nature. If anybody ever tells you that the Bible never asserts that Jesus is God, tell them to go by Sylvan Learning Center and learn how to read. <laughs> I don't mean that to tweak anybody, but repeatedly, I don't know how, 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 how much more clear you can get he is the radiance of the glory of God. We're doing this series on the glory of Christmas. Last week, talking about the glory of his birth, and this week, I have this crazy task to talk about the glory of his life, and obviously, it'd be greatly condensed. But I do need to go back and review glory for a second, so bear with me, bear with me. Glory and holiness are two words that you never can fully describe this side of heaven because the nature of those two words is foreign to the human experience and beyond our mental capacities to fully appreciate or articulate. Okay, so uh, even what I say is gonna be woefully inadequate. 
But in the Old Testament, the word translated glory is the word kabod. And last week I mentioned that means, uh, uh, it generally means heavy in a sense of significance. It means weighty in its importance and, and, and worthiness. And that's used of God in the Old Testament, kabod. In the New Testament, there's a word called doxa. We get the English, we get the word doxology from that. But that's almost always used of the glory of God specifically expressed in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Doxa, doxa. And I tried to help us understand that, that there are three other words that, that help us to approach, not fully, but I, this is the best that this little feeble brain can do, three other words that helps us to approach the whole concept and doctrine and teaching of this massive idea of the glory of God. The glory of God is expressed in these three emphases. Magnificence, shocking beauty. Secondly, is preeminence, meaning his presence and his power. And thirdly, the third word is, is a excellence in the literal sense of the word, meaning utter perfection and purity. So when you talk about the glory of God in a practical way, in words that we can identify with, we're, we're, talking, about, we're talking about his magnificence. We're talking about his preeminence. And we're talking about his excellence. Now today, I, I, I want to talk about uh, the glory of Christmas as it relates to the glory of the life of Christ. We know that he was born. When he was born, he didn't become the son of God. He was born the son of God. He was conceived as the son of God. He didn't grow up to become the Messiah. He was born the Messiah. He was born the anointed, the anointed one of Israel. I want to look at with you three events in the life of Jesus, three incredible events in the life of Jesus that underscore these three aspects of his glory. The transfiguration, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and the healing of the paralyzed man. And each one of them is a window uh, into one of these three aspects of his glory. The first one, the transfiguration, that's magnificence. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 9. You know, whenever I want to totally relax, if you ask me, Crawford, what is your ideal vacation? and you want to totally relax. Now, some people, some people are either mountain people or beach people. I'm a little bit conflicted because I'm both. I really am. I really am. I, I, I love, I was, I was born and raised in New Jersey. We used to go down to Jersey Shore, so I guess the beach thing is there. But I like them both. Let me tell you what my ideal vacation is like, my ideal relaxed time is like. Now, anybody that knows me, I've been here long enough in fellowship, knows that I really do love people. I love hanging out with people. I love coming here and talking with you guys. I don't slip out in between services because I want to see you. I want to interact with you. I don't get enough time. But as much as I like to do that, you know the way I restore my energy is by getting away from people. And seriously, I, as much as I love people, and at a certain point they do energize me, but at a certain point they also take stuff from me. And uh, I'm sure I'm like that with other people too, so it's, you know. But I, I love going to the beach or to a mountain. But what I like doing when I go, this is crazy. I don't like sleeping in. I will get up early in the morning. If I go to a beach, I, I want to get up. I don't like crowded beaches. 
I will get up right at dawn. And what I will do is that I, I will walk along the ocean and I'll stop and every time I think of what Davis says, deep calls to deep. I just, there's something about those waves coming up against the shore. There's something about looking out there at the endless water that causes me to contemplate the greatness of God. Or if we're at the mountains, I'll get very early, right at dawn. And I will, I will either, if there's a place that we have, I can get out on the deck and just kind of look at the mountains, or maybe I'll just hop in the car and drive to some place where there's a view. And I'll just contemplate the majesty of God. It's almost as if during those times, God says to me, Crawford, I got something I want to show you. This I want to show you. Shh, shh, shh. You talk too much anyway. I want to show you something. Jesus is with his disciples, and he takes his inner core, Peter, James, and John, and he says, There's something I want to show you. There's something I want to show you that I'm not going to show anybody else until I return. And he takes them to the mountain. Here in Mark chapter 9, this is the account of the transfiguration. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. A very intimate moment. Verse 2. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. I want to make three quick observations about his magnificence through this transfiguration. The word that's translated transfigured is the Greek word metamorphosis. We, uh, we, yeah, we, it's an English transliteration. Metamorphosis, with change. He, he showed them what he is going to look like when he returns. The first observation I want to make here is that th this is a display of his eternal beauty. That's borne out by two things. If you look closely in those verses, it's borne out by the fact he's wearing, he's wearing this, this brilliantly white clothes that, 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 that it's, it's pure and more brilliant than anything you can compare with down here. It's the idea that my, my beauty is not ascribed to me in this earth. I am eternally beauty, beautiful. I am the lily of the valley, the bright and the morning star. It's, his eternal beauty is also borne out by the expression that here's Elijah and Moses, both of whom had been in heaven, right? You notice the prepositional phrase that says, and they were talking with Jesus? They were visiting like old friends. They knew him prior to the incarnation. He didn't just become beautiful. He's always been beautiful. Let me warn you, if you're looking for a lot of application in this message, you're not going to get it. There are some messages that it would be profane to give three or four steps to. And this is one of them. I want you to savor 
in the glory of Jesus. I want you to feel, I want you to feel the disconnect a little bit that you can't identify. And that's what happened on this mountain, which leads me to the second aspect of his beauty. It was eternal beauty, but it was awesome beauty. Now that's the appropriate use of the expression. It was awesome beauty. Have you ever seen something that is so beautiful that it frightened you? That is so incredibly uh, stunning that it, that it scares you. you. You know, like going to the edge of the Grand Canyon and you, if you've ever been there with a bunch of other tourists, all you hear is, oh, ooh, ooh, ha, he. It's gorgeous, but it's scary. Or going to Banff, Canada, okay, in the Canadian Rockies, and seeing those massive mountains jutting out of the earth's floor, and you're standing in, what do you say? It is like, it's gorgeous, but it's powerful, it's frightening. Or the first time you go to Niagara Falls or Victoria Falls in Africa, you stand there and you see the volume of this water and you feel the spray. It's awe-inspiring beauty. It scares you. And the magnificence of Jesus is meant to be respected. Don't get overly familiar. It's the side of him that draws us and should frighten us. In fact, that's what takes place here. How many are outward processors here? Raise your hand. I know there's more. I am too. Those of us who are outward processors, we say stupid things for the first five laps. <laughs> About the sixth time around, it gets close to being sane. Okay? I'm an outward processor. Peter was an outward processor. Leroy should have just kept his mouth set. Listen to what he says here in verse 5. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Shut up. Good that we are here. Uh, Jesus is transfigured. There's Moses and Elijah. And you're talking about good that we're here? You're talking about understatement? It's good that we're here. Now let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And Mark just gives this little disclaimer. For he did not know what to say. <laughs> for they were terrified. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus is not gorgeous. He's magnificent. Jesus is not a cutie. He is the stunning, spectacular, everlasting son of the living God. He's drawing and dangerous at the same time. There's this eternal beauty. There's this awesome beauty. But then thirdly, there's this incomparable beauty. Verse 7 says, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. This is the whole idea that he is sufficient. There's, 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 there's no one like Jesus. No one. No one comes close to him. 
He is all sufficient. There's only one voice that matters. That's what God says. That's what he says. That's what he says. On the heels of him showing his glory, Peter, James, and John, all of whom would write books of the New Testament and be leaders of the church, they would probably go back to this moment time and time again when they were confused. And they heard that voice, that there's only one voice that matters. And you listen to me, church. You listen to me. Don't get conflicted or confused by all the nonsense in the culture, all the naysayers, all of the views, all of the philosophies. There's only one voice that matters. Amen. Only one. It is the voice of the Lion of Judah. It is the voice of the everlasting Son of God. God said, you listen to him. And then also in that text, you'll, what God was saying, there's only one Savior that can deliver. That's poignantly brought out by the fact that after this is over, the last line says, and there was standing with them Jesus only. He is all that you need. He's all that you need. You don't need Jesus plus anything. He is the source of everything. Hmm. Well, what does glory mean? It means magnificence. Magnificence. Unbelievable beauty. Secondly, glory means preeminence. Preeminence. Preeminence means uh, uh, his presence and his power. But watch this, watch this. When we talk about his preeminence, we can't, we can't, there's no, there's no, there's no one-to-one relationship in this life. There's nothing, there's no illustration that I can come up with that grabs it. When we talk about his preeminence, whenever he shows up in his mighty power, everything else shuts up. So when we, we talk about the preeminence of Jesus, what we're talking about is the acknowledgement of his lordship over everything. We're talking about his presence, and we're talking about his absolute power. And that's what the story in John 11 is all about, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's what that story is all about. It is, it, is, it is the manifestation of that side of his glory that underscores his preeminence. God's glory means his magnificence, his preeminence, and his excellence. And we'll continue to look at these next week. You've been listening to Living a Legacy with Crawford Loretz. The Glory of Jesus' Life, the title of our message today. It's from a series called The Glory of Christmas. Now, perhaps you joined us midway in this message. Well, you can listen to it in its entirety on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org, or select it on a number of streaming platforms. We're so grateful to have you join us each week, and especially now as we celebrate the coming of our Savior. Would you get in touch with us this week? Just a few sentences lets us know you're there. Email legacy at moody.edu legacy at moody.edu or write to Living a Legacy Moody Radio 820 North LaSalle Boulevard Chicago, Illinois 60610 Thank you so much For Crawford Loritz I'm Bill Davis This program is a production of Moody Radio A ministry of Moody Bible Institute